0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everyone, I'm Sam Fry and welcome to a new episode of Technique. This is the podcast where we talk to artists about their use of technology. Now, here's a first warning. There is some swearing in this episode. Enjoy. So welcome back to this new episode of Technique. It's great to have you with us. And today I'm speaking to a personal friend of mine who works between art and tech. His name is Sean Miller and this is him introducing himself.
1: Yeah, my name is Sean Miller and I explore ideas through art and technology.
0: Straightforward enough, right? So today I'm talking to Sean about his journey as an artist He actually had a lot of success at school as an artist and he talked really personally about his experiences of creating art as a school child and essentially not only growing his own abilities as an artist but learning a bit about himself and accepting himself as well. And then we actually get on to talk about something quite different which is blockchain. Now for those that don't know blockchain is a technology that you might be familiar with because of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but it's a technology that's likely to shape the world in the future, and actually will have a big impact on artists and their work. Now we do get quite personal in this interview, but also before we spoke, Sean wanted to point out that sometimes he can get a little bit deep.
1: There's always a danger, and I'm quite good at it, at sounding quite pretentious. <laughs> so so at those points, interrupt, and yeah or self reverential that's what i want to that's what i would like to avoid yeah even though that does come out of my mouth it is it is a thing it should let's try and avoid that but it could happen so let's just see what
0: happens so hopefully sean doesn't come across as too pretentious of course he doesn't instead i feel that this is one of the most personal interviews that we've done on the podcast so far so let's get started firstly a little bit of music and then away with the interview
2: Always looking for your next climb, the things I want. Don't take time on my knee, honey, you get it. One of these days, one of these days, I love big nights. We're gonna get it and get it right. One of these days.
1: So I was drawing from a young age, I was interested in art and art making from three-ish. And drew loads, drew lots at school, and then went to a senior school where art was was a big thing. Had a teacher that was very enthusiastic and quite inspirational at a young age, sort of 13, 14, was like the most incredible. Thing. like He was like a, a whirlwind and actually did a lot of good things for the department um, and for the school as far as making art a, a credible choice to do as a, as a as an academic subject in a school that was very academic. So I chose to do art as a GCSE, that was the choice, and over DT, but I think in an ideal world I would have done design technology and art together because I think those those two things would have worked really nicely. I then did A-levels and art as, and art as well, and I, and I was... I'd spent a lot of time, like lunch breaks, after school weekends would come into the into the art department and do art, make art, art like around around I would have art in the morning, go play rugby in the afternoon, and then and then even and then on Sunday I'd do art. Like it was um, a big focus on through my sort of teenage years and wanted to be very good, wanted to be a very good portrait painter predominantly. because I, I just really enjoyed that. I was quite melancholy as a teenager, so And I did a lot of self-portraits, partly because I didn't want to bother anyone else as far as take their time to to draw them, Um, which sort of became a running joke in the end that I just had like a million self-portraits. And in the end, they went up around the school. So you could sort of follow my face (laughs) around the school. And some of them got quite big. I did a six-foot-by-four-foot head of myself, which then stayed at the school for quite a a number of years after I left, which was interesting. Because kids, I would go back, I went back on one occasion, and there'd be, like, young kids, 11 years old. I would be, like, the, <laughs> the, big, the big face. Yeah, so, so, that, so I did it until the end of A-level. And so sort of as far as the, the journey then, I started doing economics at A-level and then had a choice between economics and that sort of a route like that and more, art, like, fine art routes or more architecture, which some could have mixed this interest in a bit more, like, physical... Physics, but um, decided to do economics. Had a really inspirational teacher, so that was like you, know, you follow. That's kind of quite a common thing. And and yeah, so then and I took a gap year before university and worked in a bank, an investment bank, and painted. So the last proper full oil painting that I completed was done whilst working in bank. So I'd come home, till ten pm, had a little shed and like in the middle of winter I'd go out there paint that. It was for, it was a commission and that I completed in December 2008. So that was the last So that was painting i
0: have done. Why did you stop?
1: <laughs> well, I think, so eventually, so this, obviously those dates will give an indication as to, to my age. I went on to university and wanted to continue, but doing the kind of artwork that I created was a very... You need to be on your own. Like you can't really do it in like a social environment. And when you go to university and you're not studying art, the only way you could do art is by forcing yourself to do it. And so I would go to life drawing classes and I still do that. But the process of setting aside 100 hours or, or whatever it need to be in order to get to something good, I didn't make the time for it. Partly also, and this is where the self-referential pit will come in, I felt like I didn't have enough good questions to ask of the art that I was creating that I wanted to keep going with it, to keep making portraits. Like I... I I got to a stage where I was I was reasonable at at, at reflecting some sense of, of what the thing was that I was painting. By mean no means I had like a long way to go, but I then didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to create or art to create. And if you don't know what art to create, you then just end up like copying stuff or or asking someone, what do you think I should make? and then you make that. And then I, I that I so I did a couple other commissions in that time whilst I was working at this bank and like, on weekends. And at one stage, like this gallery said, "Oh yeah, you should just do that, make it really big." So I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." And then in the end, I just hate the process. Like I did it; it was a, it was sort of a hammer saw inspired like little interior hallway painting, and I did it sort of A3 size. And they said, "Oh yeah, make it huge." So I made like an A0 one, and I did it pretty quickly. And I just like oh, that's bullshit. So so that was sort of so that ended that kind of following that path of wanting, not knowing what to do and wanting just to get people to tell me what to do because that doesn't, it's no, it's no longer authentic so that was, that was that I, I I was quite lucky I got to meet, I met an art dealer who was really encouraging as sort of, he sold sort of traditional fine art on canvas sort of stuff, 18th century he's now like got some good he's got some old masters within his not collection because he sells them but he has some clients that buy those sort of things and he was very encouraging, like exceptionally encouraging, like, you should go and do this. But I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to paint. So sort of that's more or less why I stopped. But the self-portrait process was so important for me throughout my years. It's quite interesting, and it's probably something that wasn't picked up. I don't, I, I'm, I'm confident it wasn't picked up by people around me, by the teachers or whatever, was because I wasn't comfortable with, with my face at the time and you know, I admit, like many teenagers are and the process of exposing that and, and, and one thing that I also would do so sometimes I'd work from life sometimes from, photog- from photographs in the early years I would photoshop features like from my nose down to well my nose my big nose and, and then would draw that and then by the time I was about 17 I would just photoshop spots out so that so, then, so airbrush and then put in like one or two and then probably by the time I was finished, I didn't do any of that, so it was what it was. And that process didn't go seen; it was unseen by everyone, as I'm, I'm pretty sure. But was important and meant and meant something. So, and also in the pretentious sense of things, Leonardo said, yeah, "Every painter paints himself." And that process—it's yeah—that's the thing you learn. Where, where there's no pressure to paint someone as they think they look, I and mean, you can just paint yourself as whatever it is, what it is then you can learn faster so, so yeah that, that's, the, that's the thing and I, and I think I would see the art that I was creating as two, as two things one craft and two thought and yeah, you develop the craft parallel to the thought your ability is to, to create the meaning behind what you're doing and if and I got to the stage where the craft was good enough was, good, was getting better I was going to a stage that I was happy with you can always improve but it was closer to the things that I, was, that I admired than it was three years prior so yeah, I'd go to art galleries and sit in front of a, a Rembrandt and go like how did he do the, the light under the nose or under the chin that kind of thing um, and then try and push that into into what I was doing um, so the craft bit is really interesting I love the craft aspect but I wasn't probably at that stage very good at the thinking bit beyond this like Stuff that was just a self-portrait, so, and so that's probably why I needed time away from it. I couldn't just do stuff for the sake of it. Do you think you go back to it? Do you think you're? Well, I think I'm creating. Uh, I think I'm creating art now. Like, I, I think there's. So, I, so this is like a broader, a broader point. But I think everyone is a, can be an artist, not in the artist sense. So, to, to quote, so my dad is a dentist, and I think he's an artist in what he does in a day, like on a daily basis. There's the. There's the, there's the stuff you have to do, and I'm probably paraphrasing Brian, you know, potentially, but there's the stuff you have to do to get the job done, and then there's the stuff that people do to go beyond that to make sure it's, it's great and is as, as perfect as it can be. And, you, and typically you suffer financially for that. It means you're not as good business person in that, in that field, but the outcomes are better, and, and probably in the long run people benefit from it. And as, and as an individual, you're more satisfied. Even though you probably suffer slightly financially, yeah. So, so I'm not painting. Um, I am go to life drawing class on, on the other occasion, but I would say I probably won't go back to. I might do the odd oil and canvas thing, but so like my parents want me to do. so my, my brother wants a painting, and they they saw like a nice like circle dot canvas thing. They said, "You just go do that." I don't, I I can't just like do that. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, uh where there's something that stops me wanting to because I could just buy it. There's, there's a thing I I struggle, I would struggle to to make that sort of thing just because of, just because it's there and you can just copy it without wanting to without it would just it wouldn't feel organic or or authentic, which is a bit of a pretentious thing. So so I would go back to it in some form, and still, yeah, I don't think I've left it, but the creator, I'm learning other ways to express. Creativity than than that particular craft, so that was one craft. and Now I'm just working on other crafts.
0: What what are the other crafts?
1: <laughs> so I've tried to do businesses, I've tried to do startup things over the last ten years, and by success, the common success metrics, they have all been failures using technology. That's the, the kind of the things. So the thought process behind why also I sort of moved away from wanting to, to do paintings, just like want. The outcome is only felt typically by by the person who, who's receiving the painting, and and I've sort in, in an arrogant sense I felt that isn't very highly leveraged impact. So, doing something that I get benefit from and maybe one other person gets benefit from didn't seem basically like technology and other things have more have for the input unit you know, of input of time and effort. There's like bigger. Ways to help people mm. um, in some sort of form. So, so yes, I've been trying to do some interesting things in well, technology, and I'm and I'm not proficient in software development. So, so in, in those projects, partnering with people who are proficient, who are very good. Now, the interest is in primarily a technology called blockchain, but actually, the technology isn't in, isn't in block. The interest sorry, isn't in blockchain, but in the problems that can be partially solved by blockchain so that's where i'm at now
0: we know each other from working together in like the loosest sense of working together probably <laughs> we shed a room <laughs> we shed a room yeah, we so no way. we we worked together at bristol uni helping students with their own ideas uh, whether they were businesses or other things to kind of at least pursue them hopefully find a way to make money out of them but that wasn't really the important thing but my reckoning is that where both you and I have this desire to like make stuff happen whether that's a business or just pursuing an idea or exploring something which is in this kind of weird drive for kind of Creativity and actually making something, which personally I've always had a a, a challenge with myself. Like, it'd be really nice not to like try and go and pursue this thing and this thing and this thing. Like, I, I think I've said before on this podcast that like this podcast is an example of that. I also run Create Hub in my my spare time. This website about technology and the arts, but there's there is there's like a challenge about about. Needing to do that, do you find that that same challenge?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's, I think it's, so that is why I can't paint right now because I'm not compelled to paint. And there's a John Baldessari said you have to be compelled by by creating stuff. And the things I'm compelled to do right now isn't isn't to pick up a brush. I love the feeling of like painting, and and when I go see like the BP Portrait Award and I see what that those really talented artists are doing, I sort of go, ah, okay, I need to go back and do something. But then, like, that dissipates pretty quickly. Um, even though, yeah, the the feeling and the smell and all those things and stuff that like, mean a lot to me, but I'm not compelled to, to follow through with that. Whereas the things that, like, currently, I wake up, or I dream about, and I wake up too early in the morning, wanting to sort of crack on with, uh, yeah, are, are, are other things. And, um, I definitely know that I am on the borders of, like, insane, as, as, about, about wanting to, to go after certain, like, things. As far as I have definitely failed more in my short period of time, in, in, this, in this sort of career, than than I needed to have done. But, yeah, I still want to carry on doing that, which is sort of, like, b- is totally bonkers. Yeah. Um... But that I think but you get some solace from the fact that when you hear stories about people who actually eventually did achieve something that they also had failures as well you know the the sort of it's a bit you feel terrible when the thing like beyond terrible when like the things have like hit the hit the fan um it's horrific like you feel absolute garbage um and it takes time like I, I the place where I'm at now I wasn't at four months ago maybe definitely not seven months ago like absolute not quite a skeleton where i am but definitely a much more a much hollower sense a sense of self uh but where i was 18 months ago was probably much more bloated than i am now so so that that roller coaster is is something to manage um and try and you know Try and be, try and achieve stuff whilst you have a sense of confidence in self, and not and not try and and when things don't go quite right, try and hold on to what those things were that you believed in in the first place. It's not easy. So the, so the stuff I'm working on now is the stuff I was working on last year, not the stuff I stopped working on when I lost confidence and and, and uh, hit close to, not the rock, but close to the rock of the bottom. But the confidence I have is that I've gone back to those things. The confidence in the ideas that I was playing around with, or the, actually not the ideas, the problems, gives me confidence that I've been compelled to go back to them. It gives me confidence that, that I'm on the right path, in the sense that if... If they mattered to me then, and they somehow mattered to me again, then they'll matter to me again and again, even if like the course is sort of uh, deviate a lot, which it will. Meaning that I can take a longer view or a long-term view as far as long as like I have in terms of my career on trying to take on those problems. So I don't need to I don't need to rush so much because like if if they get solved, that's great. I can just like chill out, but. I could flesh out what what those things are. So this is when things get, like, lofty.
0: <laughs> I'll bring you down when I need <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, I'll attach a bit of string to you. You can start floating like a, like out. A, and I'll... Like a balloon. <laughs> yeah, like a balloon. That's nice.
1: <laughs> the goal is to go after problems. Well, the problems out there, and I, and I definitely will miss the mark, and this won't appeal to everyone, but there are there are problems out there that haven't been solved, that should be solved. So... The ones that I see, the ones that could be better attempted to be solved are the problems of survival. So, so as a human, there are certain inputs that you need in order to, to be alive. And without them, you'd die fairly quickly. So, things like, and, and sometimes the solution is the thing that we call the problem, but so, water, um, stay hydrated, food for energy. You need to be thermoregulated, so sometimes we solve that in terms of shelter and clothing. You need clean air. You need, you need to stay dry, which is sometimes often also solved by shelter and clothing. You need to you need to sleep, and so those, those I think are pretty essential. And then beyond that, some people would also argue that having access to transportation and healthcare. And, and now information are, are important so sort of survival rights I, I think those last three you could s- sit in a room and without those other three original ones, you'd die. The fact that you can 't go and like travel easily down the road is another thing, but obviously if, if that traveling enables you to get access to some of those so call it water, for example then then that 's obviously a problem so so that's like the problem so that 's the problem space so like how do you solve survival like Maria <laughs> So, so, yeah, how do you solve survival? And probably the mistake that I made last year is uh, is that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to solve it all, but I would start the thinking. Because loads of people are trying in each of those spaces, but the the challenge is that often they don't talk to each other. And this is true in all systems, whether it's, like, a company or a family or any sort of, Thing where there are different bodies talking to, in theory, needing to talk to each other, interface is the biggest challenge, and where there can be better interfaces between different systems, things work more smoothly. You know, it's like having two pools of water, and when you create a bridge between uh, sort of a, a canal between them, then stuff can flow between them. So, so this then comes back to sort of like blockchain opportunity. So, blockchain is a distributed ledger technology. And it's been around in a form since about 2008, Bitcoin being the first instance of it. And the way I see it, and I am prepared to be completely misguided on it, is that we could use blockchain as a blockchains or a blockchain to act as a central repository of information across all those different verticals, those survival things. And and so the form I think it will take is people solving, trying to solve in those instances in say making be- water access better whether it's in london you know we have a very we have a victorian infrastructure which is it works it's expensive to maintain it's not that cheap at the point of use um, as far as you know paying your monthly water bill it could be better but obviously but it still works it's still it's functioning whereas there are people obviously in the world that, that don't have access to it, any functioning system so how do how do we create a and it's going to basically have... Mod- I see it sort of as, a, as a modular system. So you'd have, to coin a, a phrase, Dieter Rams, the designer designed this thing called the universal shelving system. The idea being a bit like sort of Lego or some sort of thing. You could you have these rails that you plug onto the wall and you can stick any shelf, any compatible shelf into that system. So the idea being that we would have an equivalent system, survival system, whatever it is, and you'd, and you'd have a slot, a section... A whole area dedicated for health or or water, and different solutions can fit into that thing depending on what you need and still speaking in abstract terms, but the data will flow and that and that 's what I care about obviously, I care about the problems being solved but not but not having those silos so so it'd be a an easy way for for data to flow between each of those different sections, each of those different things, so, so that a person is able to have their needs catered for in an optimised way. The second most important thing about blockchain and the opportunity is that that data can be owned by the individual. And that's really important because not, you probably don't want your bank or your healthcare provider or whoever knowing that you've just had five donuts last night. But data still exists and it matters, but, it, but you probably don't want them necessarily knowing that. I mean, ultimately, if you connect, your, if you give them access to it, they'll see it, but the point being that you have the choice. Whereas currently, all of the data that you create in these different silos is owned typically by the provider. So if you go onto a social network... They own all the interactions that you have, or they have access to all of the interactions you have. If you purchase something somewhere, they know all of your purchase history with them. That data probably should belong to the individual, um, with access, with licensed access to that company, but it should be it should be one's own. Uh, and there's an opportunity to do that with blockchain. But isn't
0: the benefit in that sharing, so if you've got ownership and you just wanted to control it for yourself, who you to judge... Whether eating five donuts had an impact on this thing in your health or this this thing in your bank account or what, like, however those kind are connected isn't the value only if you're sharing it anyway. As in, if if it was connected to your health, yeah. Thing. Well, I'm not to know really. As an individual, as an individual, As, 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 as Sam Fry. If I ate five donuts, I. Believe that's bad for my health, yeah. but I don't know really what the impact of that is mm-hmm. to my health. And if the value is sharing knowledge of purchases, what you're eating, what you're what you're drinking, yeah. how that affects or impacts your health, your your bank account. Actually, the only way that's useful is if someone with the knowledge of what impact that makes yeah, exactly. has access. To yeah,
1: yeah. So this is, so this is where it gets interesting, I think, because then you can build frameworks on top of those things, meaning in clothing, a, uni- a school uniform or a uniform that you wear to work is a, is a system, is a framework for, for clothing. So you know you have to wear X, X trousers, X shirt, there, there are rules in place that mean that that is the combination you have to wear. Certain types of styles also have that. If you are a hipster or a rocker or whatever, there are, there are certain parameters, rules that, that dictate a certain look. So what that might mean is that if in, in fashion terms, you would say, today I'm wearing trousers, which, which has some data attached to it, and what shirt should I wear, what shirt w- works with that. And there would be a framework on top of that that I would recommend, based on what you have and based on the, the look that you're going for, this is the shirt to wear. And you'd share that data, or you, know, you wouldn't even need to share the data with them, the system would be sitting on top, and your utilisation of that system would mean they'd get paid Paid for it, and they'd get some anonymized feedback, anonymized data back, to improve to improve the system. So that's kind of how. I know, like it's, I'm speaking a lot in the like the air because it's very abstract, and it's like not doesn't exist so much.
0: But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Those frameworks. So if you look at that in terms of fashion, or if you look at that uh, in terms of arts. So you're talking about painting portraits before there are styles and trends in art if, if you if you're encouraging people to to actually observe how they're working within that framework or you know how compliant they are essentially to that you're allowing people to kind of create a lot more of the same but how do you then allow for innovation
1: yeah so i i think it's a good question because in a let's call it a 20th century model in order for a diet or just thinking about diet to have any scale, it needs to, an infrastructure around it. Whereas in this kind of in this instance, anyone can create their own framework and innovate on top of what they've seen and go, I think this is a better way, and then and they can and it can scale through other people just using it. And because there's no bad, there's no like friction to anyone else picking it up. In fact, there's potentially an incentive for people to take it on if they think it's better because they could take a financial position on. On that framework being used, so they could buy in in a very small fractional sense into that framework, say so even in a crowdfunding sense, um, and then as it gets as that framework gets used more and more, they get some sort of benefit, and it would would encourage them to share the framework. Again, we're speaking very very abstract terms, but that's the so. I, so I don't think creativity will will be a challenge. I think it'll be much easier to be creative because there's a much clearer path to being rewarded for creativity. A lot of people, in many ways, like you, today we're using a, an Apple computer. You're very happy to use that computer pretty much as it comes out of the box. Why is that? Because it works, and you're probably happier just thinking about other things with your day. Some people actually really enjoy the process of building a computer and then using it in the same way that some people really like to cook and go from build from scratch will even enjoy even growing the vegetables and then cooking preparing cooking some people just want a meal put the on the table and so the the philosophy the theory behind or the hypothesis I should say with this concept this whole entire concept is that for the people that just want to get on with everything else beyond survival they can find a thing that works for them and which makes life really easy survive a bit and they can focus on higher things potentially but for those who want to focus on it, who really care about one particular thing, like clothing really matters to them, then they can ignore the framework. They can create their own framework for themselves. And that's and that's totally fine.
2: Always looking for your next climb, the things I want. Don't take time on my knee, honey, you get it. One of these days, one of these days, i love have big nights. We're gonna get it and get it right. One of these days.
1: Blockchain, for now, you could build blockchain apps using patterns that we use for typical web applications. Some of those will, will evolve quite quickly. So an example being a common thing you have to do on a website is log in. On most websites, you have to create an account banking app or a social network, which means you have to have your own account details with, with, those, with those websites. And again, they own all of the data or they sit on top of all of the data that, that you provide to them. In a blockchain world, you would just go on visit a website, and your identity would be your identity. It's yours, and they would be only able to access the specific bits that they that you give them access to. So they need to know your name and your email address potentially. Beyond that, it's it's on a it's on a request basis. Uh, excuse me. So so that is so that's interesting because then also then like payment friction and identity friction disappears. Friction means just like the. Processes can happen more smoothly, but I think that's quite a narrow. I think that's like an early. That would be like blockchain web 1.0. That 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 like gain because it will be like oh that's nice, but but the gains with blockchain come from rethinking and restructuring everything, which will happen. So so it's really interesting. Like, it's just so huge. Like it's so it, it's so big that you can't even talk about it in like a sentence or in five minutes in an hour. The opportunities are so large. To change everything that we know that we've come used to.
2: If I'm talking sweet to you, you know I'd like to hear it too. It's funny, I need to think it's a passing phase. But if I feel alone in the morning dew, I start to see new shades of blue. One of these days, you know I'm going
0: so that was sean miller talking about art and blockchain i hope you enjoyed the discussion and if you're an artist maybe you saw some parallels between yourself while you were first discovering art and sean's own personal journey Personally, I'm really interested in the topic of blockchain and I'd quite like to explore it in a future Technique event. So if you're listening to this and you're an artist doing something with blockchain, I'm particularly interested to hear from you. And maybe at some point in the future, we'll put on something together where we can talk about the process of creating art with blockchain. If you do want to get in contact, then get in touch on Twitter at Technique UK or contact me on create-hub.com. Otherwise, that's all for this month. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll look forward to speaking to you next month, which is the final episode of 2017. I know, it's gone really quick. The music for this podcast came from Bedouin and Andy G. Cohen. And otherwise, that's it. So see you next month for another episode. Take care. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it-note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.